Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. As always, we're looking forward to talking to you because, hey, this is a call-in show. Uh, The best radio is when you call in and ask the questions you have. Don't be shy. Uh, If you've listened very long, you know we don't run anybody off here. We are kind and gentle with your questions. Uh, The way I like to look at it is like there's no stupid questions, just stupid answers, so the pressure's on me. How about that? In other words, don't don't be afraid to ask whatever is uh, on your mind because other people are going to have similar questions. And we have a wide range of listeners. You know, we have people that uh, are very veteran gardeners, uh, people that have never gardened before yet. And so we're here to help. That's that's what we're doing here. Well, I want to start off by giving you our phone number and our email if you would like to contact us. And that would be 979-845-5689, or if you would like to email me, perhaps attach a photo of a plant or a problem to be identified, that is garden success, one word, at tamu.edu. Let's go to the phones, and we're going to start off with Jesse today. Hello, Jesse. Hey, Skip. Listen, I appreciate what you said in introducing your program because I'm a pediatrician and I do much the same thing with parent questions. <laughs> I bet. There's I bet. no stupid questions. If you don't know the answer, it's important. Yeah. Uh, I, I've called you before, but I have a little different nature problem. <laughs> I've just bought a new house. I bought a house uh, with landscape beds in place, and I have uh, whatever they put, some kind of landscape mix under landscape cloth topped by mulch, and I want to put plants in there. Okay. But I, but my question is, uh, how in the world do you replenish the, you know, the organic part of the soil when there's a landscape cloth between whatever you put on top and the sure. soil? You know, what what do I do? Do I do I need to go in there and rip out all this landscape cloth or okay. cut a big old circle around the plants I put? Okay. Well, that's a good question. Um, by the way, uh, I've often said that uh, I think. Uh, I get asked, I get told a lot of things by people that read stuff online. Uh, Maybe they go on social media and learn about horticultural things. And so they're telling me how things work when it's, there's no scientific basis for what's being said. And I've often thought, my gosh, it's almost like being a doctor where I bet you guys hear all kinds of home remedies and uh, magic cures for ailments and miracle diagnosis by Dr. Google, and I feel for you, man. (laughs) It's a challenge, but it's rewarding, and that's why I'm still doing it, and that's why you're still doing it. That's right. That's why we're here. But back to your question, Uh, your your thinking is is correct, and that is that those landscape fabrics are really not a good long-term solution. Now, there's a lot of yeah buts. Uh, One yeah but would be, well, if you're planting annual flowers in a bed, they are absolutely in the way. And just just get rid of them so that you can do your color change-outs through the course of the the season. Uh, If it's all shrubs and that's it, it's not the end of the world to have those. And I wouldn't pull them out if they're already in. But just realize that as the mulch on top begins to decompose, you're going to get weed seeds that sprout above the fabric and root in 
And uh, so while they work for a while, uh, long term, you're, you're going to still have a weed problem come up through them. And you probably at some point will be ripping them out. Uh, if As far as amending the soil, yeah, the fabric's in the way, which goes back to the annual bed comment I made. Uh, with shrubs, you really aren't able to, you know, rototill an inch of compost into the ground when you've got shrub roots everywhere. So uh, amending the soil isn't as big of an issue on a, a, a permanent perennial plant like that. Okay. Um, now, does it interfere at all, like if it's around a tree that's through the or a... Uh, like a, a crate myrtle or red buds and mm-hmm. stuff yeah, that's in the middle of a planted in a bed. Uh, it, it, there's no reason to rip it up around them then. But if I'm going to be putting in plants that I hope to spread, you know, plants that spread by like tubers and yes. stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, that will, I suspect, will interfere with their spread, right? right. They yes. They can up through the fabric. Yes, it would. And it's, a, you know, it... There are some uses for those fabrics. I guess one use would be a lot of our live oaks that um, are from uh, more of a hill country type source of seeds where there's a lot of sprouting that goes on around the live oak and uh, root sprouts and things. Some people will use a good, very, very good thick landscape fabric around a live oak tree and then put a mulch on top of it to keep from having those sprouts popping up everywhere and constantly having to cut them off or mow them, mow okay. them back. Uh, that would be an example of keeping it around a tree. Um, it, they're not going to hurt anything. It's just that in time, it they just kind of get in the way of the things we need to get in there and do. Well, and, that's what I was concerned about because, you know, I usually top dress with compost and stuff, and I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out any way it was going to get down into the soil. Yeah, and and... You know, the way you're doing it is is the right way to do it. it. It's what nature does. I mean, nature drops leaves on the soil in the forest and drops more leaves on top, and they decompose as it continues to add new new dead mulch on the surface. Um, so we can do that same thing in our beds. They, they do help with, with some weeds that would come up underneath them. Uh, I find things like Bermuda grass, though, which is a common invader in a lot of yards and landscape beds. It just crawls around and finds the hole. And now you've got Bermuda, but you have no way of really getting to it to try to dig it out. We had a we had a, a, a rent house while we were building our new house that sedge had come through the landscape cloth. And my God, it was really hard to pull up the sedge. To, uh, yes. You could feel everything snapping as it tried to go through the cloth. And then yes. Didn't get it all out. Yeah, nut sedge will punch through all but the best landscape cloths. There's some that are dense enough and thick enough, and it's a combination between a woven uh, textile and a uh, kind of a felt-like material that can stop nut sedge. But that's the exception. Most okay. most of the time, they punch right through. Okay. Well, thank you, Skip. I enjoy your show, and I enjoy listening to you also when I drive on Saturday and Sunday morning. Well, good. Thank you. I appreciate you being a listener, and good luck with those beds. Congratulations on the new place. Thank you. Bye-bye. Our phone number, 979-845-5689, and by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. You know, if you're not a gardener uh, on Saturday morning, the, the temperature's going to be perfect. The sun is going to be out. It's spring. Everything is blooming. Uh, I, I don't know. You, I, I guess you probably need to type, 
check your pulse, make sure you're still alive. Uh, that would be one thing. Uh, no, seriously, though, this this is the best season of the year for people in terms of getting gardening fever. I wish I could bottle gardening fever and distribute it into the water supply in fall because that's when um, that's when we really can be doing a lot of our best gardening of the year. Uh, and people get gardening fever a little bit in the fall, but not like spring. This is when things kind of go crazy. Uh, I could understand that further north, you know, maybe the Midwest or someplace where you're kind of cooped up you know, due to snow for an extra long cold season. Uh, be naturally be raring to go when you come out of that. But my goodness, down here we're gardening all year. So anyway, I'm glad gardening fever exists, though. It, it, it brings an interest and uh, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of landscapes get beautified and a lot of gardens get planted because of it. So anyway, this Saturday, there's lots of things to be doing. I think we're going to have some rain on Friday and maybe on Sunday if the weather reports I'm hearing hold up. Uh, but Saturday would be a good one. Everything's growing fast. Um, so as far as like what should you do on Saturday morning? Well, I'll start with something nobody wants to do, and that's pull weeds. Uh, all the weeds in your landscape uh, that have been growing all winter, all the cool season weeds, that's clover, chickweed, henbit, uh, let's see, annual, uh, annual bluegrass. There, there are just a bunch of them out there, including thistles and other things. They are setting seeds. They have set seeds in most cases, and those seeds are going to get scattered. And where you had one weed, now you'll have hundreds and hundreds of seed that will be sentencing you to more weeding this coming fall and spring. So what I would recommend is you pull everything out that you can. Now, in, if, if it's too extensive, then set your lawnmower down as low as you can and do a really low early first mowing and use a bagger. It's the only time, well, one, only two times I recommend bagging clippings. That's one of them. You take all those weed seeds in the bag and get rid of it. Uh, you can compost them in a hot compost and destroy the seeds, but uh, just I, what I find is that what could be and what ends up happening is usually not the same thing. So I would just say ditch that first bagging. Um, by the way, if you're curious, the other time when I would suggest bagging clippings is when it has been raining or you have been traveling and your grass, you're coming out there and it's six inches high and uh, you're just kind of trying to recapture the thing without turning the place into a hay field of long clippings laying everywhere. Uh, that would be a time maybe to, to do some bagging. Uh, even though I, even then I don't, what I'll do is I set my mower real high, mow it once, drop the mower down, mow it again. And in that double cutting and chopping, and uh, especially if you have a good mulching mower, it'll do a pretty good job of making all those clippings go away. But that's the other time when you might do that. So the weeds, hand pulling them, uh, getting them. I have a five-gallon bucket that follows me around on Saturday morning along with a cup of coffee and a little kneeling uh, pad where I can move around. And I do a lot of hand pulling of weeds just because that's the thorough way to get them out. Uh, now, if you're, so if you're lawn solid weeds, I realize that's not practical. But, you know, for most people, some weeds here and there, you sure will save yourself a lot of headaches. Sure, it's too late to spray the existing weeds with a weed killer at, because they're going to be dying anyway. All those cool season weeds are about to die out. Think of the blue bonnets on the highway. They're a cool season weed. So they pop up, they sit there all winter, 
then they take off growing, they bloom, they set seeds, they fling the seeds everywhere, and they die. That's the life cycle. That's also the life cycle of your clover and your henbit and chickweed and these things we're dealing with right now. So spraying them now doesn't make any sense. It's, it's essentially of no benefit. Plus, a lot of the products that would work on them when they're very young, uh, once they become reproductive, blooming and setting seed, those products aren't that effective. And so that's what leaves us with the decision. Do I just let it go and deal with it later? Or do I hand pull out as much as I can? And therefore, I recommend the second. Uh, you can use pre-emergent products in the fall to prevent the weed seeds from establishing from all the things that you're dealing with right now as turf weeds. Uh, but I would rather just focus on preventing weeds from going to seed as much as possible and then building a dense, healthy lawn. And <clears throat> I realize there's times when we do need to use a pre-emergent or a post-emergent because of you know the situation there. Uh, basically, whenever sunlight hits the soil, nature plants a weed. You know, nature does not like scars on the earth. It does not like open wounds, if you will. Uh, and it will cover those areas with vegetation. Because when you have bare soil, you have erosion and crusting and all kinds of things that aren't good. So nature fills it in with weeds. If you're, if you're not going to make a good, dense, healthy lawn, nature will make sure that it is solid cover by throwing weed seeds in here and there. And uh, therefore, you still have a, a nice <laughs> green, <laughs> green area. Uh, just as an aside, a, a fellow uh, in Mississippi, who's a very good horticulturist, used to work with the Extension Service out there, uh, he says that the best way to get rid of all your weeds is to take off your glasses, and I like that a lot. Uh, you know, you stand in the yard, take off your glasses, and what was once weedy, now it's just a nice green lawn. Uh, but seriously, all joking aside, it, it's best to build a lawn. So if you have been fighting weeds for several years, um, I would say the three most important things for you to focus on this year are mowing, watering, and fertilizing. When you mow, water, and fertilize properly, you build the densest lawn that you can. Now, when you have insect problems like chinch bugs that kill grass, when you have diseases like take-all root rot that kill grass, or large patch that makes the big brown circles in the winter, that rots the leaves off the runners. It doesn't kill the grass, but it rots the leaves off, so now the sunlight can hit the soil. We start to get weeds in those areas. But the more often you mow, the denser your lawn will be. The proper application of fertilizer, especially the ingredient nitrogen. That's the most important one to be supplementing with. Uh, and, and then finally, when it's dry, giving it a good soaking on an infrequent basis to build those three, build turf density. And you essentially grow yourself out of, I'm going to say 85, 90% of the weeds that you would be dealing with. We have weeds that coexist in St. Augustine that's properly cared for, despite the fact that it's, it's good and dense. But most of the weed problems, by far, go away when you build a very good, dense, healthy turf. And then you just have to deal with the exceptions. Our phone number is 979-845-5689. Let's go to the phones now and talk to David. Hello, David. Hello, how's it going? I'm, I'm doing well, how are you? Doing well. Uh, I have some uh, observational information that I uh, would like to pass along and 
maybe somebody will find it helpful. might not be all that timely because it's mostly about fruit trees. I, I have uh, 17 fruit trees, and they're all – everyone's a different variety. Wow. Uh, and so I have a lot of uh, – a lot of, I guess, built-up knowledge about what seems to work and what doesn't work. So I thought I'd pass some of that along. Okay. Uh, I'll start with uh, figs, and also I'll have a question about figs later. But uh, with figs, <clears throat> you, you, you know some of the good varieties, and Celeste is, is one that's recommended. Mm-hmm. Uh, had an experience, of course, when we had the super freeze, they all froze down to the roots, but, mm-hmm. but then they all kind of grew back. And then, then we had the Christmas freeze last year, mm-hmm. and the Celeste came out just unscathed, and the other two, the Alma and the uh, Texas Everbearing, both basically froze back down to the roots. So I've heard that Celeste was uh, uh, more cold-hardy, and sure enough, uh, they're both they're all in about the same environment in terms of where they're located. So mm-hmm. I think that I would – it's just one more reason to very highly recommend uh, Celeste, if somebody's looking for a fig tree, I know I know a lot of people if they're going to plant fruit trees have already done it this year, but but uh, but I, you know you can still possibly find them in pots and so on. So okay, good. that's just uh, and and, uh, and by the way, the quality of the Celeste I think is outstanding, and you you may have had some. Mm-hmm. It uh, is, it's an awesome fig. So I'll, so I'll start with that, and then <clears throat> I, I've not had much luck with peaches over the years or plums, but this year. I've got uh, a lot of uh, fruit on the tree. Even the plump curculios leaving me alone uh, so far. Uh, thank goodness, because uh, that's been a huge problem in recent years. But I, but I, you know, we talk a lot about about the uh, 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 chilling hours, and I'm just found that over the years I was trying to follow the guidelines. But I really think that at least some of your fruit, your peach trees. Uh, should be low, low on the low end of the scale because those they bloomed real early, the ones that are doing so well this year, and then we had some frost, but it didn't really bother them, and and they're going great guns. And and over the years, I've just had real problem with uh, getting enough chill hours for other trees that are recommended for this area. Hmm. I mean, these were like four four hundred and four fifty. Uh, I have one that's coming out that is a 550, and it's just now coming out. It, it is going to have some peaches too. Mm-hmm. But I guess uh, I guess I'm just thinking with our variable weather, and and I don't know if there's climate change or not really going on currently. But in any case, I would just tell or suggest to people that look look for those at least if you're going to have several fruit uh, peach trees, then I would say get some that are on the low end. If they if they they will at least get enough chill hours and then and then of course if it's small you can try to cover it but uh, I've really just had more luck with the lower lower end of the scale than the upper end of the scale and again okay. I don't expect I don't even expect you or anybody else necessarily agree with that but that's certainly been my observation well and then I can uh, I can comment on, on that just a bit yeah it's so sure. every when when we start doing averages <laughs> we're almost always not accurate right. Uh, because on yeah. the average, one year, it, the last, well, one year, the last freeze will be, let's say, in sometime in early February, and another year, it'll be sometime in late March, you know, I mean, and we find this average date when the last freeze is. And so with the years varying, and then you've got this range in chill hours of peaches, it, you know, you can get in trouble with almost any variety uh, on some years. And so I think, yeah, overshooting can be a problem. Uh, of course, you know, the 
problem with undershooting is if it blooms too early. Sure. Uh, we have the ability to protect a backyard tree that blooms too early. It takes a little effort, but you can cover a tree and protect it in a, in a freeze uh, with some heroic measures, especially if it's a little bit of a breezy freeze. Uh, but uh, commercial growers won't, aren't able to do that. You know, they can't run out and cover each tree and put a heater right. underneath it. Uh, so your comment on the early end, that's true. One one thing about some of the low-chill peaches, though, is they tend to, as a group, they tend toward being uh, cling stone peaches rather than freestone mm -hmm. peaches. Not all, but, but some. And so that's one of the hesitations in some of those, er, especially the early ripening ones, but also some of the low chills. Right, right. Yeah. Well, um, when I when I get this great crop of peaches, which I hope I do, I'll report back about how good they were. I can't even remember for sure. Uh, some of them are, I, I think one may be a semi-cling, and, you know, there's kind uh -huh. of an in-between. Yes, and, there uh, is. I'm pretty sure one is a freestone uh, mm -hmm. that was one of the varieties uh, uh, from, from A&M. Uh, I okay. believe it was the... Uh, what was it? The uh, zest. It's, it's got zest in it. Uh, yes. Uh huh. The uh, zest. There's a series of them that have zest, but that's some yeah, of the new, right. new breeding work Dr. Byrne has done. Right. Yeah. It's it, it's not a white. It it is an orange. And uh, I had a, a few peaches last year. That, they were really good. So well, good. Well, yeah. Shoot a, me. I believe it's a freestone. Shoot me an email and let, other, me, let me know your opinions on all those because you know I'm always interested in hearing how they're working for people. Right. Well, I won't keep you all uh, all the whole show here, but I will ask. I, I did have a question, uh, I, and I'm just glad I do have a Satsuma. I've got a couple of uh, uh, of the uh, uh, persimmons and and a few other trees. But but anyway, my question is: since I like my Celeste so much, and I'm sure uh, others might be interested in this too, if you wanna if you wanna try to uh, graph not graph but but create another one. I'm pretty sure that that's supposed to be one of the easier trees to do it. I've never done it. So do you recommend cutting off a, uh, some mature growth or, or a new growth or what if you're going to try to root something? Uh, so like you're talking about trying to root a Satsuma? No, no, I'm sorry, a Celeste. A Celeste, oh. The, the, uh, the, the fig. Yeah, the fig. I, I typically will use, I, I usually do that kind of at the end of the season when the leaves have fallen off and it's gone dormant. You don't have to do it then. That's just when I tend to do it. So I'll use the ends of the shoots, you know, the last six inches or so of the of the shoots to cut off and do the rooting. You can you can root at different times. Figs are very willing to root and another technique is to put to take a ring of bark off and put some moist um potting mix or sphagnum moss around that. There's even little devices you can buy that literally clip on the plant uh, and then at various homemade versions you can find online. Uh, and they'll just essentially do what's called an air layer uh, by getting roots to grow on the stem. And once you see roots growing in there, you cut it off from the mother plant and repot it. So that's also another option for you. But I wouldn't use, you know, wood that's several years old. I would, I would get current season's growth. Okay. All right. Well, I may give that a try because uh, I'm I'm kind of disappointed in my other two uh, figs, and I'm kind of it's twice twice now that they've frozen all the way down, and uh, okay. uh, it obviously takes a while for them to come back. So 
Yeah, and there's there's some other good varieties out there too, David, on the figs. You know, other than just Celeste and Alma, and I can't remember uh, Texas Everbearing is what you mentioned. Yeah. I think think the LSU Purple is is a really good fig too. It does does pretty well here, Uh, and yeah, there are so many varieties of figs. It's like every time I read something on figs, there are like ten varieties I've never heard of that people are trying and growing. So, but I think you're when I. I was just gonna say I think you're right gonna, that Celeste is I, the best. Yeah, when I when I did get a crop from the other two, well, I, I'm, I actually have not gotten any off the Alma yet, but the other one, the Texas Everbearing, it, it tends to, even though it's supposed to be a closed eye, it tends to open up if you get a lot of rain, and mm-hmm. uh, so it, it would unfortunately would get bugs in it and so on. So yeah. I'm not a big fan of Texas Everbearing. It's it's been a little bit of a disappointment, and the and the quality of the fruit. It's just not as good as, as uh, Celeste. So, that again, these are all opinions, but uh, they are a much bigger fig. And when it's growing well, I mean, they're, they're big. Uh, right. So if you're looking for a bigger fig, that's that's the way to go. Sure. But, yeah, well, I agree. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, no problem. Thank you very much. Enjoy your show. Thank you for the call. And, and do, do send me an email as you get opinions on some of these things you're trying out new. Be interested in that. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you. You're listening to Garden Success. I'm your host, Skip Richter, and we are here to answer your gardening questions or just talk gardening. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, let's talk about some things going on around the community. On April 6th, uh, out at Lick Creek Park, the Post Oak chapter of the Native Plant Society of Texas is going to have a program called Invasive Plants Silent Killers. And uh, this, this particular program will begin with a meet and greet at 6 p.m. and then the presentation will follow at 6.30 p.m. There's no charge for attending. That's April 6th, Lick Creek Park, Invasive Plants silent killers. You can learn a lot about some of the invasive plants and uh, the effects that they have on on the ecosystem as they, you know, begin to do what they do and that's take over. And we've all dealt with invasives in one type or another, but I think this would be a very interesting interesting talk to go and see. On Saturday, April 1st, uh, no foolin', the Lions Extension Club is going to have their spring fling plant sale. Now, this is out at the American Legion Hall in Somerville, Texas. Uh, So not too far to go out and check it out. It's a very nice little plant sale. They usually have some pass-along plants, baked goods, handmade quilts, things like that. You can just head out Highway 60 to Somerville. Uh, By the way, the thing starts on Saturday, April 1st at 8.30 in the morning and goes until 3 p.m. Spring plant, spring fling plant sale. That, I don't know why that's a tongue twister. On Saturday, April 8th, the Waco Iris Society is having their annual show and sale. Now, that's a little bit of a drive, right? But if you're into Iris, it's worth the drive to go check out uh, all the different cultivars that are available when a, when a plant society like that gets together and has their sale. This will be Saturday, April 8th from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Hampton Inn on Marketplace Drive in Waco. Uh, what else is going on? Okay, let's talk a little bit here about March. 
uh, on, let's see, find the day, Thursday. Ooh, that's today. And we are in the big middle of it, the Blue Bonnet Garden Club having a meeting. Looks like we got this one a little bit late. Uh, so April 1st, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society is having their Birding 101 Bird Walk. I talk about these all the time, uh, but this is out at Lick Creek Park. They meet at 8.30 out there at the Gary Halter Nature Center. And it's your opportunity to meet folks that are skilled at birding, and you can sharpen your birding skills. You can learn to identify birds by sight and sound. Uh, a nice little walk through Lick Creek Park, looking at the resident birds and the migrating birds coming through. Uh, they'll have, they'll talk about field guides, binoculars, and so on. And they'll even have some loner binoculars if you don't own a pair. Uh, bring water for the little walk through. But that is Saturday, April 1st. The Rio Brazos Audubon Society, 8.30 in the morning, Birding 101, Bird Walk. On April 6th, Thursday, uh, I mentioned the post, uh, well, the post oak chapter of the Native Plant Society having uh, their programs, but also on April 6th, the gardens at Texas A&M uh, are going to have a presentation. Now, this is not at the gardens. This is some by... Uh, Joseph Johnson from the gardens, and it'll be at the Larry Ringer Library, and the talk is on rain gardens. So what do they say when life gives you lemons? Make lemonade, right? Well, if you got a low area that doesn't drain well, it seems like just about every time I talk about a plant, I say it needs good drainage because the exceptions are few and far between, but they're there. Uh, Joseph Johnson will talk to you about how to build a rain garden, some of the some of the plants that you might put in a rain garden, kind of tips for starting your own. So you can take that area that right now is not that suitable for a lot of plants and take that low area that tends to stay wet for long periods of time and turn it into a rain garden. Thursday, April 6th, 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at the Larry Ringer Library out on Harvey Mitchell Parkway and College Station. On Tuesday, April 11th, the Bryan College Station Rose Society uh, is going to have their meeting. And if you're interested in learning more about that, uh, you can call Mary, the phone number, 680-8046, 680-8046. For information about the program and directions to the meeting. Then the next day, Wednesday, April 12th, uh, the, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society is having another program. This is at 6.30 p.m. Um, in the Brazos Valley Museum of Natural History on Briarcrest Drive. Uh, Tyler Scott will be presenting a program on birding in Ireland. So if you want more information, Go to the website, riobrazosaudubon.org. Audubon is A-U-D-U-B-O-N.org. My goodness, there's a lot going on, but it is spring. It is spring. Uh, out at uh, Producers Co-op this weekend, by the way, uh, there is uh, going to be a program on turf grass management. This is Saturday, by the way. Uh, Producers up on North Texas in Bryan is having its spring gardening seminar series and this this Saturday, April 1st, Mark Bowen and Louis Chamorro from Heirloom Soils are going to be talking about turf grass management. They'll get all nerdy about turf grass management, but they'll also get all funny about turf grass management. They, they are a humorous and extremely informative uh, couple of folks uh, that uh, you can go out. There's no charge for this. This is 1 p.m. 
but it's going to be over in their conference center. You know, in the past, you may have gone to programs that were just in the inside the store. Uh, when you get to producers, ask them where the conference center is, and that's where these programs will be. Upcoming programs the following Saturday, April 8th, Cheryl Lewis will be talking about Texas natives. Uh, and then on April 15th, uh, Andy Chidester from Fox Farms is going to have a program on all things organic gardening on April 15th. It's just a Saturday. And then some others coming up that I'll tell you about as we get a little bit closer to those. You know, if you're out and about on the weekends, uh, you need to check out some of our uh, farmers markets. There's the South Brazos County Farmers Market, which is the corner of University and Glenhaven. So in other words, when you're heading out University toward the bypass, right before you get to the bypass, the last street to the right is Glenhaven, goes right beside Scott and White Clinic, and right across from the clinic across Glenhaven is the Bra South Brazos County Farmers Market and they are every Tuesday from noon to 5 and again every Friday from noon to 5. So if you're interested in all the good things that you can get from a farmers market, that is those are two opportunities right there to do it. Out on Tabor Road, uh, 2861 FM 974 called Tabor Road, uh, there's a farmer's market out there called Farm Fridays, and uh, that's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and again, all kinds of different things are available, and then, of course, the uh, Brazos Valley Farmer's Market in downtown Bryan every Saturday from 8 a.m. until noon. That's at Main and 21st Street, so there's a, usually a food truck also parked there, so in addition to all the shopping, you can uh, enjoy the food truck uh, as well. If you're if you're out and about too, this is really any time you want to go out there. Uh, but the demonstration idea garden it, on Highway 21 in Bryan, uh, the uh, AgriLife Extension Office used to be at that location, uh, and it's it's right before if you're on 21 heading west, it's right before you get to the bypass on that side of town, uh, 2818, uh, and. It's on the left-hand side going in the, going west in that direction. You'll see the gardens when you drive by, but our master gardeners, Brazos County Master Gardeners, are maintaining those gardens, continuing to maintain them. We call them the DIG, Demonstration Idea Garden. And you can see what kinds of plants thrive. It's free to walk through anytime you want. If you go out there on a Saturday, you might catch some master gardeners working in the garden Saturday morning. Uh, occasionally they're out there, well, frequently they're out there taking care of the gardens. And so it gives you a chance not only to see things, but to ask questions of the master gardeners in the process. Well, that's a lot of things going on in the area, and we'll tell you about more of them as we, as we get a little further along uh, in coming weeks. Let's go to the phones now. And again, the phone number, 979-845-5689. And we're going to talk to John. Hello, John. Good afternoon. I, I got a couple of uh, two questions or three or four, maybe. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, did you have a chance to look at the emails? I the did. I did. I did. And um, well, we we talked about that, and and nothing had happened last week. But lo and behold, during this the week, uh, the Fuji is beginning to to leaf out. I have I have not seen any change in the uh, uh the dorset well in the photo you sent the fuji was leafing out on the ends of branches but not along the branch so are you starting to get leaves along the branch too not yet okay only at the terminals okay 
All right. Well, uh, I'm a little flummoxed. I don't know what to say, especially about the Dorset. Uh, how long has that tree been in, the Dorset? It's not maybe a brand. Four about four years, maybe. And every other year it leafed out normally? Yes. Hmm. We've never gotten any, any fruit on the Dorset. Okay. Uh, but we, we, I think we did get one or two apples on the Fuji. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's a little, it's a little shady where it is. So I think that's got a lot to do. With that that would affect its ability to set bloom buds and produce fruit. Uh, but it the the leafy part ought to come on out, even if it's in a lack of sunlight uh, enough to hamper fruiting. I don't know. It's a low chill, so it it shouldn't it shouldn't be sitting there, uh, essentially running behind your Fuji in terms of pushing out new growth but, but you could you could see the uh the swollen ends on the on the terminal yes. branches yes yeah so I, it just it looked like it was going to mm-hmm. but we just haven't seen anything yet you know i uh john there is place and it's still it's still subtle 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 mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's I mean, not it, dry it, it's not like it's dry and yeah fixing the crack and break yeah i have not kept up with chilling this year there are websites where you can go and it'll tell you what the current chilling hours are for a a location Uh, i need to look into that because you know my general sense was that we weren't that far behind this year on chilling maybe maybe we're more behind than i thought Uh, but that would be the only way i could explain that it's not coming out normally the other the other thing that Mary sent you a picture of was she has a pineapple guara that a uh, big old pine leaf fell on top of it and, and split where you see the split in it. And she wants to know if she wraps it, will it grow back together? Uh, yeah, I didn't see the pineapple guava photo. Well, yes, I did. I just didn't look far enough. Okay. Oh, boy. Yeah, when you have those little Y-shaped forks in the top of a trunk um or, you know or in a trunk that that's always yeah. gonna be likely to split <sighs> wrapping it for the sake of like protecting the wound isn't necessary and i think i replied based on that uh, but i see a, a pretty large area where it is split down those don't get huge and so I, you know if it were like a live oak tree or something i would say man you may need to put a bolt in there or some something else to kind of hold it together at least for a while uh, I don't think that's going to get large enough. I, you certainly could make a case for doing something that holds the that Y together. Uh, I don't know that just a wrap around it would, would in and of itself be enough, but something to prevent those limbs from separating out when the wind blows and moves them around and things. That gives the callus a chance to connect, and once your callus connects, then it can proceed with normal growth without a concern for this, the split being made worse. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you about the apple trees either because we, every, even the oak trees are beginning to leap. So mm-hmm. I, I, it, it seems like to me there's something happening there. That, yeah, I. you know what I... The first thing I thought uh, when you were telling me that is, well, it's not the variety you think it is. For wherever along the line, things got mixed. And and that is a possibility. Um, uh, I'm not 
I'm not real confident that that's the problem, but that is a possibility uh -huh. for that Dorset especially. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, it, it, the Fuji uh, leaping at the terminals, is that, is, a, is that a bad sign or is that a sign that we've got troubles? Or uh, on, any of our, on any of our fruit trees, uh, well, really any tree, but primarily when we talk chilling, we're talking fruit trees. Uh, on any fruit trees that don't get adequate chilling, the, the first thing to break growth is the terminal buds. And then slowly you'll get a little bit of a bud break here and there as we move on into even May and, and June. Uh, you're getting more leafing out, but not normally, not in a normal mm. way, in other words. But that, yeah, that terminal uh, push of new growth with no other growth along up and down the branch, that's a, that is real typical of chilling. But will it, I mean, do we just go through this year and, and help it and fertilize it and water it and all and then just hope next year we get something better? Yes, yeah, you hope hope it does because they set their bloom buds uh, at the base of current season's growth. Now on an, on an apple tree, you may have little what they call spurs, which is real short growth that only grows a tiny bit each year. It's not like a long shoot, uh, but still it's that new uh, current season's growth that is able to set the fruit buds. So if your if your apple tree just has growth out on the ends of the branches and occasionally here and there, you're not going to have a lot of fruiting wood through the canopy of that tree. And so that would be the negative uh, of it in terms of carrying on to a future year issue. <laughs> That's not very encouraging. I know it, John, but I tell you, uh, if you can name me one commercial apple orchard a <laughs> hundred miles from you, uh, within a hundred miles of you, <laughs> there's a reason we we just don't do super well with them. And you can grow them here. There are apples that'll grow here, and you know, for a backyard, it's fine. Uh, but they're we're we're just not apple country, uh, so. <laughs> That's well, it has been a pretty little tree in the in the past, and uh, you know I think we'll leave it there. And oh yeah, yeah. Even though we don't get apples off. It. I I well I I agree. I would leave it uh, if you could give it more light. I think that would help a lot. Now I don't know. That's going to involve a chainsaw and may not be practical. But uh, <laughs> they want to be in a lot of sunlight, and so uh, you know when we start. Number one, we got a species that we're having to really stretch the zone to get it down here. So we find a variety that'll do that or two. And and then we're not giving them quite enough light. And then we have these weird winter situations. And, you know, it starts to, it's kind of like playing Russian roulette. And we don't need people to keep adding bullets to the chamber because our <laughs> chance of success becomes low, right? <laughs> so so that's, uh, that's the situation you're dealing with. <laughs> I just want to let you know. I just noticed that in in the vineyard area, we have the the tomatoes are starting to flower. So we're we're headed towards getting some fruit. I think. Well, good. Very good. Good to hear. Well, thanks for the update. But keep me posted. I I would like to hear how the Dorset and the the um, Fuji end up doing for you. Well, if the Dorset ever breaks leaves, I'll give you a shout. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Thank it, you, Skip. Sometimes, you know, people talk to their plants. You've heard of that, right? So, so I've heard oh, that great. it I heard that it helps if if you walk out to the tree and you get a chainsaw and fire it up and rear it a couple of times and then turn it off and look at the tree in the eye and say, "Look, 
next time I have to come back out here, I'm going to use this thing. And they often straighten up and do what they're supposed to do after that. Mary talks to her trees all the time. So that, <laughs> yeah, that, but she doesn't, she doesn't threaten them adequately, apparently. No, no chainsaw. No, you're right. <laughs> John, thanks for the call. <laughs> okay, thank you. Skip. All right, bye-bye. Oh, gosh, let's go to the phones and talk to Stacy. Hello, Stacy. Hey, um, I just have one comment on the last caller with the Dorset. Uh-huh. Mine hasn't leafed out either. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and I'm in Bryan, so... All right. Well, y'all... I'm, I'm, I'm actually mine is set for a chainsaw date. I just haven't got to it yet. Yeah. I've had it for <laughs> oh, no. seven years, and I barely ever get apples, if any. So I'm done. I don't know if it was mismarked. I got mine at like a hardware store. If it was mismarked, then I'm like done. My I'll keep, stick with my Anna. Okay. <laughs> my now, Anna's do pretty well. So you have an Anna there. So they both bloom at the same time if they bloom. No, the other one always blooms late. Okay. Well, so that's the that's Anna's, the Anna's was blooming last fall. It's never stopped blooming. It bloomed all the way through the freeze and everything. It started re-blooming oh again after that freeze we got. But it has apples on it this year. So all right. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to share my experience. Okay. But is that why you called, or did you have something else? No, that's really why I called. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, fruit trees are, are interesting, and, and apples. I've grown apples before, but I don't know. I my As you can tell, I'm, my enthusiasm for them is not. <laughs> at a peak. <laughs> so. Well, this is my first year. I just planted two plum trees, so we'll see how those do for me. Oh, good. I got rid of two apple trees because they weren't doing anything. I think it was a gala and this, this Dorset, and I was like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to do some plums. So we'll see All if right. that goes. Well, I hope the plums do better for you. They... Yeah, I think I got a methylene and a Santa Rosa. Okay, those should do okay. And the methylene will be at least partially self-fruitful. Uh, if, right. And so that that's good. Well. At least, at least you're resilient and you bounce back and try something else. Yeah, I just wish I could find a, a solution for squash vine borers, but I know there's really not one. So <laughs> there, there is not a good one. If you, if you, <laughs> yeah, have we talked about? Have you and I talked about squash vine borer before? Uh, you, you've talked to other people. I've yeah. talked to so many people around here. It's like mm-hmm. that and um, the leaf-footed bugs. I just have too many tomato plants to, like, scout every single day for leaf-footed. And it seems like we get a storm, and all of a sudden they show up overnight. So uh-huh. I'm like. Yeah, they are a problem. <laughs> uh, the, the vine borer is just, uh, I just depend now on the netting, the garden netting. And I, I'm, I'm when I say netting, I'm talking about a little screen, actually. I should say mesh, not netting. Okay. Uh, I use a garden mesh, and I rotate the beds because... Wherever you grew squash and had borer, now you have borer pupa in the ground that will come back out next spring. So you need to have your next year's squash in a different bed. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm rotating mine, but I was tilling a couple weeks ago, and I swear I saw an adult borer already. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, that's a little early. I don't know. Uh, that, that's well, a- we had that heat in February, so I'm wondering if that made them come up a little early. Yeah, I, I've not seen them that early i guess i only saw that one and i'm just like what yeah. the hell kill it <laughs> yep there you go <laughs> well uh sounds like I'll you're call again with some other questions to stump you another time <laughs> thank you thanks for that stump the chump uh well this is a thank you for the call stacy so right, if you would like to play stump the chump the number is 979-845-5689 979-845-5689 or garden success at tamu.edu garden success at tamu.edu i have been uh, doing horticulture professionally for 34 years now uh, i've been gardening my whole life 
Uh, and I'll tell you this, that having got a master's degree in horticulture from A&M, worked as a county extension agent with commercial and home horticulture for decades, there is still a lot that I don't know. And in fact, uh, I don't know if it's Mark Twain or one of those kind of guys, Will Rogers, uh, said that half of being smart is knowing what you're dumb at. And uh, I think as we get older, if we're honest with ourselves, in many aspects of life, uh, we realize just how much we really don't know. And when it comes to horticulture, there's always new varieties. There's always new ways of gardening. There's always new situations, new diseases that come in. And uh, so it's a forever learning process. So stumping the jump really isn't that hard if you've got the right question, uh, because they're, being a general horticulturist is a little bit of a challenge. I, I, I liken it to being a uh, jack of all trades and master of none. But anyway, hopefully we can help you with your questions. Speaking of questions, 979-845-5689. We're going to go talk to Kim now. Hello, Kim. Hi, Skip. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. Um, I have a question regarding trying to rehab my St. Augustine from the drought and root rot. Um, okay. It's only been planted for a little over a year, so it didn't have time to really take root last year. Uh-huh. Um, one of the main issues, I'm, I'm saying 75% is starting to fill back in with green, so that's looking good. Okay. Um keeping up with the fertilizing, starting to water, hand-pulling the weeds, which haven't taken over too badly. And the biggest question I have is I think I need to maybe try aeration and also putting down some more soil because being a new yard, it either didn't have adequate base or it settled too much because there's a lot of holes and then, of course, the dead spots from the root rot. Okay. All right. So what would be the steps to take to try to get it to be a less yard. So as far as filling in soil to to level holes and stuff, that's in and of itself. It's not really connected to the how the yard is performing, but just for other reasons you need to do that. Um, uh, aeration is important if the problem is a really dense clay that is compacted. So lots of foot traffic and other things that compact the soil uh, make it worthwhile to go out and do aeration. There's nothing wrong with aerating any soil, but um, th- you don't see as much benefit if it's not already struggling with compaction. So I would okay. ju- I'll just leave that at that. So I okay. wouldn't say don't aerate, it's fine to aerate. Just do a core aeration that pulls the plugs out of the soil and uh, maybe a top dressing of a, of a fine layer of compost doesn't hurt either. Uh, that would help rejuvenate it and get it going again. Other than that, uh, fertilizing at a moderate amount, uh, primarily with nitrogen. That's the most important uh, lawn fertilization nutrient that's needed and that we need to supplement our lawns with. Uh, And an adequate watering during summer droughts, of course. Uh, As far as the disease is concerned, there are fungicides that will fight take-all root rot. If that is what you have still active in the soil? No, it's all dead. And I did apply the fungicide last year. Okay. So basically what I have is just patches of the thatch where it okay. killed the grass. And that was another question I forgot to ask. Do I need to pull that dead grass up or just put the compost on top of it? You can just put compost on top. And the compost on top will actually speed the decomposition. Okay. You know, the grass leaves decompose pretty rapidly, but those runners, they're high in in uh, compounds like lignin, for example, that are slower to decompose. 
and so the 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 uh, compost will will speed that up. So, and when you say compost, what ingredients should I look for, and how much of a layer, half inch, two inch? A half inch should be enough. Uh, okay. The the um, um, ingredient well well the the product you're looking for is something that is a finely screened. Uh, well decomposed organic material. So if you've got little wood chips and chunks out there in the compost, that's that's not screened well enough. Okay. Uh, that just becomes something for your lawnmower to sling around the yard. Mm -hmm. uh, but you just want to very finely screened. You want to put it out. Uh, in some areas, there's companies that'll come and literally blow it out there in your yard. They have a machine that does that. What I've done in my yard is just make little piles with a wheelbarrow and then turn a a soil rake upside down so the stiff tines or short tines tines are pointing up and, mm -hmm. and use it like you're playing shuffleboard and it, it glides over the soil the tines don't dig into your runners and stuff it, it glides over and it spreads it out I've, I've used a, a, a leaf rake before but those are it's a little soft to spread compost effectively it can be done but I just like the soil rake uh, for spreading yeah that's it out. a good idea okay 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 all right. Thanks. And if you've got, you know, a sprig of grass every foot or so, uh, if you can get it healthy and growing, it'll cover a foot easily by the end of the season. Yeah. I think as long as we don't get cut off from watering, I have, have a good chance of it coming back. So All right. thank you. All right. All right. Well, thank Bye -bye. you for the call, Kim. Appreciate Thanks. that call. I want to go to the emails. Had a couple of questions I want to make sure and get to. Uh, Glenn asks, can you uh, put oak tree catkins in compost? And the answer is yes. Uh, you know, it's part of what falls on the forest floor every year, along with the leaves, and they decompose. And it doesn't hurt things at all. In fact, that's part of what makes forests healthy is the fact that organic matter lands on the soil and decomposes to feed the plants and protect the soil. He also asked about putting them in potting soil. And I don't know. I I would say at some level, it would certainly be okay to do that. I don't know what all is in a catkin. So when you're talking about a, um, a potting mix that's in a small container, and that's where all the roots have to have everything happen, that's different than composting something. And then that compost is spread, you know, far and wide over an area. Uh, but putting the, you know, the freshly dropped catkins uh, I I just don't know. I, I would I would be sparing on them. And if you want to try it out, I would really like to hear how it did for you. But, you know, I don't know that there's some sort of like, um, I don't know, compounds or something on them that may affect the soil pH or something. The answer is I don't know. And so I'll, I'll not say it again. That's that is pretty much the answer as far as the putting soil addition. I would I would leave it out. Uh, someone asked about paint, painting oak pruning cuts. Uh, some people say you should. Some people say you don't need to. What's the truth? The only reason we paint oak trees in Texas is because of oak wilt. Painting does not help a tree heal, and it is not recommended for painting all pruning cuts. It's better to leave them unpainted. But when you have oak wilt in the area, that is a kill-your-whole-tree problem, and so the fact that how it might or might not affect healing becomes very secondary and of no no big concern compared to, hey, I don't want to get oak wilt in the tree. Here in the Bryan College Station area, as I've talked to arborists who've worked here for years, 
what I hear is that we have had occasionally some oak wilt centers here in the area where you may have someone brings firewood back from their hunting lease in central Texas and now we've got oak wilt in their tree. That That's a whole nother story. But um, so but what we don't have is like oak wilt just spreading like entire neighborhoods all the oaks are going like you find in central Texas. So if you happen to have oak wilt near you then painting the cuts would still be recommended but no one really has a good way to know you know two streets over is there oak wilt and some beetles gonna feed on a mat and bring it into my tree you get the idea so I would say it, it's up to you if you feel pretty sure there's none around you don't need to paint if you want to paint it's not gonna hurt anything really that would just be like an extra measure of being conservative and taking care, making sure the plant is going to be okay. So I know there's a little bit of a vague answer, but it's just not black and white. Uh, if you were in Central Texas, I would say absolutely yes, all the time. Uh, Ashley asked about a mystery plant popping up in a flower bed. And Ashley, that is a mulberry. And we uh, can thank birds for eating berries from mulberries, eating berries from... Um, mistletoe, eating berries from a lot of things, and then they sit in our fence lines and poop the seeds out, and here comes the volunteer plant, and mulberries that way. Mulberry leaves take different forms as the plant grows. A seedling is an immature plant, and it has a different leaf form than as that mulberry gets mature. So you'll see leaves that are large and unlobed. You'll see leaves that may have three lobes on them, uh, but that is a mulberry. You're listening to Garden Success, or you have been. We'll be back next Thursday from 12 to 1. We look forward to visiting with you about whatever kinds of gardening questions you have. Tell your friends about it and tell your friends that they can also listen by podcast. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.